Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar Johnson. Today is part two of our NBA Awards podcast. So we're going to go through Rookie of the Year, the All-Rookie Teams, Sixth Man of the Year, Most Improved, Coach of the Year, and you know, just sort of talk about the season as a whole. So once again, I am joined today by Kevin Nye. Kevin, how are you doing? I am ready to roll here, Nick. Uh, I'm I'm pretty darn good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. And, you know, we're getting to the part of the podcast that tends to cover the teams that we talk about, namely, you know, rookie successes and scoring off the bench and not actually winning games. But hey, you had a good few years with the Cavs. <laughs> Sure, sure. So let's jump right in then with Rookie of the Year. And I'm going to let you go first here. We actually have the same three players in the same order. And I have to say, I was not expecting that coming in. I was expecting us to agree on the first spot, but I'm very happy that we agree on the next two spots as well. So why don't you start out, though? Who is your Rookie of the Year? It's LaMelo Ball. Um, A couple of years ago, with all the LeVar Ball stuff, I was ready to think this guy sucked. Uh, and he doesn't. He is real good. He is just like, he's so active. He makes, yeah, he's like sort of a flashy player, but when he makes flashy pass- passes, he's making good, accurate, and smart passes. They just look good. Um, you know, he's scoring 16 a game. He's shooting 35 plus percent from deep, which is certainly not bad considering he's a rookie. Um, he rebounds, he's got one and a half steals a game, which is real nice. Um, he just kind of does it all. Uh, and he, they handed him the keys and they've done really well. Um, you know, Gordon Hayward has missed a ton of time. So it's been uh, a less than ideal situation for the Hornets overall this season. Um, but they're eight coming into the, the play in today. So, or at the end of the season, um, into Sunday's games. There we go. I can do words. Um, and, you know, like, it's not like they're lighting the league on fire. They're 33 and 38. Uh, but, like, he's doing it. And I, I don't think there's a lot uh, that can that can really question his spot here. Well, actually, thanks to your third team All-NBA guard selection, Russell Westbrook, the Hornets have fallen to the 10th seed after losing to the Wizards today. But the Uh fact that they're even in the play-in mix at all after how awful they were last year says a lot about... I mean, it says a lot about how Gordon Hayward played at the start of the season, but really it says a lot about LaMelo. In his 31 games as a starter, he averaged 18-6-6. The one and a half steals per game is pretty impressive because defense has always been the biggest knock on him. And mm-hmm. he's been like average, which for a rookie is spectacular yeah. on the defensive Rookies end. Rookies who are average on defense is like the biggest win you can get. Yeah, extraordinarily rare. But, yeah. you know, the other thing is I was a lot more worried about his shooting after yeah. what we saw of him in the NBL. And him shooting 35% this year is such a boost for what the rest of his career is going to look like. You know, all he needs is to be like average from three point range, but he Mm. was like a 27% shooter during his international career, you know, across Lithuania and Australia and a whole bunch of other leagues and teams before he ended up making it to the NBA. But you know, that shooting touch is really what I was worried about. I was less concerned about the defense because A, almost all rookies are horrible on defense, and B, I think a lot of that was effort. Certainly in the NBL, it seemed like that. But Mm -hmm. the shooting, I was really, really worried about, and he has removed a lot of those doubts by how he's played this year. Yeah. Are you ready for a phenomenal segue? I am as ready as I can possibly be. Well, let me just ask you, can you think of a rookie who you don't need to worry about his shooting? Uh, yeah, I can think of another one who people were worried about his shooting, and he's done even better than LaMelo. So let's Tell me now... more. Oh, yes, I'm sure you would love to hear more. I would certainly love to talk more about Tyrese Halliburton, yes. who has been the light in the absolute grim darkness that has been the <laughs> Kings season this year. He is just a remarkably fun player. He played 58 games this year before he got shut down with an injury towards the end. He only started 20 games. Thanks, Luke Walton. Good work there, bud. Uh, But during those 58 games, he averaged 13 points, five assists, three rebounds a game. He shot 41% on 
over five three-point attempts per game. And the numbers are impressive for a rookie, but they don't tell the story of Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, he makes passes that 10-year veterans don't make. By like the 20th game of the season, he was sending vets to positions on defense. He gets in <laughs> passing lanes. He's, you know, similar to LaMelo. He's a little under one and a half steals per game, really mm-hmm. without all that much gambling. I mean, LaMelo missed seven more games and his peak was certainly higher than Halliburton's. Mm-hmm. But this was just an absolutely exceptional season from Tyrese. And I was very happy with the Kings getting him at 12th on draft night. And I've only gotten happier with the pick since. Yeah, I, this is going to come as a surprise to no one, but I don't watch the Kings as often as I'm sure you do. Um, really? I don't imagine. I, I know, I know, I know. But like anytime I see him, it's just like in a lot of time, a lot of rookies will have, you know, like great stretches or a couple of really good games or whatever. But a lot of times you look and you're like, but you can just kind of tell like watching the game, oh, that guy's probably a rookie or that guy looks a little off. And Halliburton looked like, oh yeah, I'm the starting guard for an NBA team and I have been for eight years. Like he just looked right, if that makes sense. Yeah, the Um, only way he didn't is that he weighs like four pounds. That was the only way you could tell that he was a rookie. Yeah. Yeah, but so does Kevin Durant. So, you know, there's there's skinny guys elsewhere. But yeah, he he to me um just looked so like complete uh in a way that I didn't expect. Um and so like comfortable and right on the floor and he just it didn't look like there was anything that he struggled with this season or or really at all, I guess. The other thing that he and LaMelo share that isn't a on-the-court basketball thing, really, but also kind of is, Mm -hmm. they both just have infectious joy about them, and they're almost always smiling, and their teammates just look happier to be around them. It's, I don't know, it's it's hard for me to describe Tyrese in a quantitative way, just because (laughs) qualitatively he is such a boon for the soul of every Kings fan out there. Yeah. But, you know, that, that that I think is important for a lead guard. I mean, it seems stupid, but, you know, you tend to work better with people who you like. <laughs> and, yeah, totally. You know, he seems like a very, very likable guy. And the guy that we have in third also seems like a very, very likable, smiley, charismatic guy who mm-hmm. has instantly rocketed to the top of best interviews in the NBA, Timberwolves guard Anthony Edwards. So... He was a really tough watch early in the season. I don't want to gloss over that. But as our colleague Tyler Metcalf pointed out in a recent Canis Hoopas article, which you should all definitely check out if you haven't yet, he has improved dramatically over the course of the season. And the last two months in particular have been amazing. And if he'd played like that for four months as opposed to two months, I might have considered having him ahead of Tyrese on this list. But, you know, he's just shown so much growth over the course of the season. And, you know, after it looked early on like LaMelo was going to make everybody else look bad, you know, Mm -hmm. Anthony Edwards is a very solid player at this point. And, you know, a very solid player, not even for a rookie, just a very solid player, period. And that did not look like it was going to be in the cards anytime soon during the first couple of months of the season. So shout out to yes. Anthony Edwards for being that dramatic of an improvement. And also shout out to A1 from day one, aka the best interview in the modern NBA. That's right. Uh, yeah, to to piggyback just a tiny bit, um, like you said, the, the notes that I saw from Edwards uh, when I was looking over his like game log last 25 games he averaged 23 points five rebounds three and a half assists one and a half steals on 47 percent shooting like that's not that's not good for a rookie that's good like that's that's just straight almost, up good yeah that's almost identical to the season jalen brown just had and i am in no way saying that anthony edwards is or will be jalen brown um but that's the kind of stats that he just put up for a couple of months um and after those first several weeks or a couple of months, like nobody saw that coming. So he's, he's been really, really good and fun to watch when he has these, and he has these, what do you have? 42 in one of the games, like just explodes. And you're like, okay, 
I see that's okay. That's that is not nothing. Um, he's been really fun. Yeah, he had that forty point, forty two point game that you mentioned. I think he had another that was either a forty point game or like thirty eight or thirty nine. Yeah, right, right in that range. Yeah, you know, his end to the season definitely put him on this ballot, and you know, we're about to go to our all rookie teams. If we're just looking at like the first two months of the season, he might not have made the first team, but yeah. at this point in the year, he's a clear pick for one of those Literally. all rookie teams. So Definitely. now that I've made that semi awkward partial transition, let's actually go to our all rookie first teams. So we know three of the players on your team already. Why don't you give us your four and five for all rookie teams? And bear in mind that these are positionless, and it will become clear why I'm mentioning that in just a moment. Yeah, so the other two guys I had were Cole Anthony and Isaiah Stewart, um, partly because I didn't think there were a lot of great rookies beyond those first three, um, but partly because I just thought they kind of had nice seasons. You know, Cole Anthony has just like been a, a really solid 12-5-4 and kind of guy, and he has been playing with like a bunch of G-leaguers because um, Orlando is a disaster. <laughs> Um, on purpose, I know, but like the knock on him would clearly be that he's shooting just under 40%, but like, who is he going to pass it to, to get a better shot? Uh, Michael Carter Williams. I don't know. Um, like, yeah, Orlando has just been such a mess that like, he'll have some nice games. He'll, you know, get guys involved where he can. Um, I don't know. There's been enough guys there's been enough rookies that are like okay, but have put up nice stats in crappy situations that it's kind of like take your pick. Um, and for me, I just kind of liked a little bit of Cole Anthony, I guess. Um, so if he didn't appear anywhere near your two teams, I would say, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, I'm not going to fault anyone for it. Uh, as for Isaiah Stewart, um, he's had some really fun games and some really big games um, that I don't think anyone really saw coming. Um, so he was, I think he was 16th pick and uh, maybe traded on draft night. And like, you know, same sort of thing where he's gotten a lot of minutes late in the season because the Pistons decided they would take their top five guys and just send them home for a couple weeks. Um, but like, if you take a look at a game log over the last uh, about 15, I have 16 games, he's averaging 12 points, nine rebounds. Like that's really solid. You know, he's not much of a shooter. He does take a couple, but there's a couple of threes and is not making them very well, but he has some solid games. You know, he has a 20 and 10 here and there. He has an 18 and 16. He had a 15 point 21 rebound game against OKC's NBA team. If you can call it that. Um, So, you know, he's not doing it against great teams. He's not, he's not anywhere near the level of those first three guys, but he's been really solid when he's had a chance. So um, he would, he would be above uh, Cole Anthony on the list of these five. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm starting to feel like Anthony was maybe a, uh, <laughs> maybe a wrong pick, but um but yeah, those were my my other two. So I, I yeah, you can take it away from there if you like. So I hope that Cole Anthony is not a wrong pick because I had him on my second team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's had a, I think he's he had probably, a really solid season. He's been fine. And I think yeah. that's kind of all you can ask for an Orlando rookie. Yeah, we did agree on Isaiah Stewart as well, by the way. He's averaging eight, seven, and one, mostly off the bench, but he started 14 games and he's basically at 13 and 10 over those 14 starts. He's been a really solid rookie contributor in a class that certainly had some stellar seasons in the top three. But, you know, as you said, outside of that top three, it's a bit murky to put together these teams. But the fifth guy I had on my first team was Sadiq Bey, also for the Pistons, averaging 12 points, five rebounds a game, 38% shooting on a healthy volume of threes. He also won a player of the week earlier in the season, basically because he had two hot games, which was a choice, let's say. But no, (laughs) certainly he's been one of the better rookies this season. So I ended up having him on the first team and you had him on the second team. So, you know, right about the same range of, you know, five through six, Thursday seventh on the rookie rankings. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I liked him here and there as well. And, you know, I certainly don't have a strong argument against putting him first team over second team. Second team, it gets a little hairy when you're looking at rookies. Um, but I, I, so I'll just run through mine real quick. I had Jay Sean Tate, Sadiq Bey, Facundo Campazzo, uh, Xavier Tillman, and Isaac Okoro. Um, Jay Sean Tate is just like fun to root for because he's a 25 year old rookie who I think he was playing in like some somewhere in Europe. He's he's had a journey to get here. And even though the Rockets are terrible, um, he's been pretty solid and he's played like every position. He's kind of their power forward, but he's six foot four. Um, so it's it's just been cool to see him have these one-off games every now and then where it's like, oh, Jay Sean Tate's going to play 44 minutes tonight and he's going to just do, he's going to get like 16 points, eight rebounds, five assists, and he's also our point guard for some reason. Um, so I think he deserves some recognition. Again, even though they are a nightmare of a basketball team. Um, and then uh, going down that list, Campazzo is just so much fun. Uh you know, not big numbers, but with the, the Jamal Murray injury, he's been really solid lately. Um, Xavier Tillman, I have you seen Xavier Tillman? Xavier Tillman is 81 years old. Um, Xavier Tillman has two children. His jersey says Tillman <laughs> Sr. on it. He is, it's insane. Like, he looks, remember how old Greg Oden looked when Greg Oden was briefly in the NBA? Well, Xavier Greg Oden Tillman, was like 77 when he was drafted. Yes. Yes, Xavier Tillman looks like Greg Olden's older brother. Um, it's crazy to me, but I really like him. You know, he's he filled in a lot when like Brandon Clark was in and out of the lineup, uh, Valanciunas was in and out of the lineup, and he just played like really solid big man minutes uh, for Memphis. I don't think I need to spend too much time on that. Um, and then Isaac Okoro was my last one. Cavs fan, so maybe there's a tiny bit of homerism in there, but um, he's playing so many minutes he's just kind of got thrown in and they're like hey guard the best player on every team we play this entire season and he's like yeah okay sure i can try that and he's not been terrible i mean he gets beat because he's a rookie and that happens um but overall like he's been fine um maybe not quite as good as you hope for a fifth overall pick but um he's playing like 30 where's the number go i think he's playing 32 minutes a game he's actually gotten kind of hot offensively lately uh he's let's see since uh april 26th their last 11 games he's averaging 16 points a game which i don't think anyone saw coming early in the season he scored 32 once he had like a 22 and 10 game uh, a week or so ago obviously they lost both of those because they're calves uh but <laughs> you know, he's, he's been plenty good enough. Um, so that kind of rounds out, uh, my five there. I know you had a, a few similar names there on your second team. Yeah. So we both agreed on Jay Sean Tate, who has basically been the only defensive player in Houston the entire season. Yeah. So, you know, that's not fun for him, but, you know, mm -hmm. certainly deserving of a second team spot. Yeah. We also agreed on Isaac Okoro, I think I would have had him on this second team anyway, but his hot stretch on offense to end the season certainly solidified that spot. Yeah, it didn't hurt. Yeah. And then Cole Anthony, you had on the first team, I had on the second team. My other two guys, Emmanuel Quickly has had a solid rookie season for the Knicks. He was certainly hotter at the start of the season, has cooled yeah. off a bit, but ask any Knicks fan whether they'd rather have Alfred Payton or Emmanuel Quickly starting, and <laughs> you will get a very rapid response. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I'm sure of that. So he's had a solid enough year that I put him on second team. And then my fifth guy is a bit of a wild card pick. I ended up going with Chumo KK here. And he was the guy who the Magic actually drafted two years ago, but they drafted him immediately after he tore his ACL. And he did not sign his rookie contract immediately after getting drafted, but he signed it this year, and he's really started to warm up down the stretch of this season, shooting nearly 40% from three down the stretch, playmaking a little bit. He's defensively not great, but I think better than your average rookie, certainly on the defensive end. You know, he's doing stuff for a Magic team that doesn't have all that many people that are doing stuff anymore. So yeah. I thought that was worthy of a second team spot for him. 
Yeah, I I don't have uh, a strong disagreement there. He's he's been like a, a pleasant little thing there in the last month or so. So let's move on to sixth man of the year. And I'm pretty confident that our number one pick for this award will not end up being the choice because yay points. But we <laughs> at least agreed on who the sixth man of the year is. Why don't you go ahead and tell the world who that player is? It is Jingle and Joe Ingles. Yes, it uh, is. I'm sure Joey will be very happy to hear that we both put him at number one. I'm sure he will. Australia strong or something like that. Um, he is one of the most fun players in the NBA. Um, he is like such a phenomenal shooter. He's shooting 45% from three. Um, and he's like, he's kind of everything. So like thinking about his career, right? Like he sort of famously just kind of, kind of took Paul George's lunch money a couple of years ago in the, in the playoffs. Um, like he's so aggravating. He's such a good defender and he looks like a guy that you should absolutely be able to blow by. And you can't like, he either stays with you. He draws charges. He's got active hands. He's, he's like a really solid defender. Um, I think he's bigger than he seems. Maybe uh, basketball reference has him at six, eight. And like, he does not seem six, eight to me. Um, so he's got some size, phenomenal shooter. He's a great passer. Like when Mike Conley goes out, Joe Ingles starts at point guard. If Royce O'Neal goes out, Joe Ingles starts at small forward, like, or power forward, I guess. Like he, he's just kind of whatever you need. If Mitchell is out, Joe Ingles starts at shooting guard. Like he is so versatile. Um, and there's like, there's just nothing he's bad at except dunking. I don't think he's much of a dunker. Um, but he's just like such a solid player. Yeah. He is better than Jordan Clarkson at basically everything, but raw point totals for most of the season. He was on pace to set the record for true shooting percentage. He's fallen off a little bit since then and won't end up breaking the record. But if you want to look at the, you know, top 20 for this award, it's, Mitchell Robinson, Tyson Chandler, Artis Gilmore a couple times, Rudy Gobert, Tyson Chandler again, Evika Zubak, Wilt Chamberlain, and I believe it was Kyle Korver's all-star season with the Hawks is like the only non-big man in the top 10. Yeah. And, you know, Joe Ingles was on pace for most of the season to break that all-time record. And as of right now, I think he would still be in the top 10 all time for true shooting percentage as a guy who takes like most of his shots from beyond the arc. It's absurd. Yeah, he's he's so wonderful. Yeah, he's taking six threes a game and he's taking eight shots a game. So there you go. Yeah, a lot more than half of his shots are threes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so you mentioned Clarkson. I do have Clarkson second. I think he like took over this award, uh, in the hearts and minds of a lot of people in, I don't know, January, uh, cause he had just like a really nice scoring stretch and don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of value in a guy who can come off the bench and create shots. He's not making them as much as you might like him to, or as you might think he is, uh, based on like the the coverage of him um but there's also a lot of value in a guy who can get super hot you know like yeah he's only shooting uh 34 from three this season and like that's not particularly good especially when joe ingles is shooting like 70 percent from three um but like the fact that clarkson can have a nine for 12 from deep game and he kind of does like every two weeks it's like that that's huge coming off the bench. Um, and so his 18 points a game, he grabs a few rebounds. He grabs a steal here and there. Um, but he takes so much pressure off of guys that, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of value for that. Um, so I had him number two, you had a guy number two who I love and I didn't put him on my top three, but I want you to profess your love for your number two choice. Yes. So for my number two slot, I had Thaddeus Young of the Chicago Bulls. And this is so far from the traditional six man of the year (laughs) award pick that, 
you know, I'm not even sure Thad Young is going to make it into the like top five of most ballots. I mean, he's not on a playoff team and he's not scoring a ton of points, but he is the best defensive player on the Bulls by a pretty wide margin. Honestly, I think he as a small ball five was basically running the Bulls offense. You know, he was just lighting it up in terms of assists. I think there was, I don't remember if it was like a month stretch or a couple of weeks, but he was averaging like eight assists a game over a stretch of time, just coming off. He was on my fantasy basketball team. So I know exactly how well he was doing for like a month. And then I know how he fell off a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, the guy that I had at number three also fell off a little bit, a lot of bit. Honestly, all three of these guys, actually, given that Ingles yeah, went but... from all-time record true shooting percentage to still exceptional, but not, you know, all-time record breaking. But Thad Young off the bench for the Bulls is everything about the six-man award that people don't vote for, but everything yeah. at the six-man of the year award everything that I would like people to consider more for the six-man of the year award. You know, very, very good defense. Yeah. Not exactly someone who shows up in the stat sheet all the time, but, you know, doing all the little things, setting screens, making hit-ahead passes, throwing secondary assists, you know, all those sorts of things that just make a team better. And, you know, honestly, if he had not fallen off down the stretch of the season, maybe we would be talking about the Bulls as a play-in team. I think so, too. And I think... um, or. I, well, I, I should say, I think the reason that he fell off a little bit is they traded for Daniel Tice and started giving Tice more minutes. Um, and I don't know that that was the correct move. Also, Zach Levine got injured. So, you know, there were there were some factors involved there over the last month. But uh, I heard, I'm trying to think of where I heard this. Someone called Thad Young Thadjik Johnson <laughs> a couple weeks ago. And I love it. I love it so much. Um, no, he's He's just like a really good player um like you said he runs their offense which is great uh or can run their offense like that sort of high post everyone moves around him and he finds the open guy or like he can he can score a little bit but he can rebound and he can offensive rebound and get putbacks and things like that um yeah he's got no chance but he is a smart pick and i like that i had derrick rose as my third one almost exclusively since he went to New York. So 34 games with the Knicks, he's averaging 15 points, four assists. Uh, He's shooting 41% from three during that time. And he's, since he's been like Tibbs's guy for 13 years or whatever, um, they've just been like better with him is the only way to say it. Um, You know, the Knicks have been really, quite good since early April when they won like 10 straight or nine straight or something like that. Um, And Rose has definitely been a big part of that. You know, he finishes games for them. Um, He is not like the primary point guard, but he's kind of not, not the primary point guard, if that makes sense. I mean, Um, I think Julius Randall is the primary point guard. If we're being honest. That's true. Yeah. It's like, it's, their best guards are Julius Randle and Derrick Rose, um, which is a weird thing to say in 2021. Um, But yeah, you know, it's a weird thing to say ever. Let's be honest. (laughs) That is very true. Um, Yeah. What year would that have been normal? What am I saying? Yeah. So I I give it to Rose as the third spot. Um, You know, it's, it's almost like a, it's kind of a token of appreciation to, to put someone in the third spot for six man of the year, in my opinion. Um, but he's just, he's been really, really solid and they've been really good. So that's just, that's enough for him to get third for me. Well, that's awkward that you mentioned that third place is the token spot because that's where I put the guy who's probably going to win the thing. Yeah. So I had Jordan Clarkson third and I don't want to rag on him too much because he has been a huge plus for the Utah offense this season, you know, giving them some semblance of creation and scoring off the bench. But I just want to read off a few numbers to you really quickly, which is why he's third on my list as opposed to first. In four games in the month of December, true shooting percentage, 60.7%. 16 games in January, 59.6%. 14 games in February, 55.9%. 13 games in March, 46.6% true shooting percentage. 
and he's climbed up a little bit in April and May, but a little bit has Hard only been to. to yeah, but a little bit has only been to fifty two point eight percent in April, which is still well below league average, and fifty five point six percent in May, which two years ago would have been right about league average, but this year is still a tick below. I mean, his fall off since the first, you know, since yeah. January February honestly has been staggering and. It wasn't enough for me to leave him off the ballot entirely, but it was enough for me to drop him down to third. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Those are pretty hard numbers to to wrestle with. <laughs> and he just yeah. doesn't do enough outside of scoring for right. you know, him to contribute enough if he's not shooting efficiently. Right. And it's, you know, I don't want to say like one of those is the real Jordan Clarkson and one is not because overall for the season, he's pretty close to his career averages. So it could just be that he's a guy who has three good months and three bad months. And that's just what, what he is as a player, um, which, man, you just hope the good ones come at the right time. Well, this month would certainly be the right time for the Utah Jazz. Yes, it would. So let's move on now to most improved player. And we both had Nick's point guard, Julius Randle, as our number one guy. <laughs> It's funny because a lot of the time with most improved, the argument is um, which like second or third year player who's getting twice as many minutes are we going to vote for here? Mm -hmm. But Julius Randle is in his seventh season, and after being a sub 30% three-point shooter for his entire career, is now up at 40%, and he's averaging 24, 10, and 6 for a New York Knicks team that coming into the season, everybody expected to be lottery fodder. They are the four seed, and the defensive improvement is a large part of that, but none of this would be possible without Julius Randle just making one of the biggest late career leaps that we've seen in a very long time. Yeah, you know how sometimes you'll see articles on ESPN or The Ringer where it's like, hey, look at player A and look at player B and tell me who you'd rather have. Um, imagine seeing like a blind side-by-side of like Julius Randle, any other year of Julius Randle's career and then this year and being like, wow, that guy, that one guy is way better than the other guy. And it's like, no, that was Julius Randle from year to year. Like that's year six to seven he got so much better at everything somehow. He was 28% from three last season. 28! And then 41 this... I mean, come on. Um, yeah, he's the absolute clear-cut, no-brainer winner here. Um, and he's their point guard, so that's cool too. <laughs> well, another late career player who spent some time basically being a point guard for a team, but a team that didn't end up doing as well as the Knicks. Jeremy yeah. Grant was probably the front runner for this award the first couple months of the season, and he's cooled off a little bit since then, but you know, ultimately he went from key rotation player, but still rotation player for the Denver Nuggets to the primary offensive option for an NBA team that will not be the worst team in basketball this year. You know, he's putting up 22, 5, and 3. Again, his shooting percentages have cooled off a little bit since the start of the season. But ultimately, Jeremy Grant signed this contract with the Pistons to prove that he could be, you know, at least a secondary option. I think he was trying to prove that he was the primary option. And he's done that. You know, he's certainly much better than the rotation level of player that's mostly a defensive piece that he appeared to be during the first few years of his career. And, you know, he's another guy that this is a late career leap, you know, not someone who's getting more minutes in their third season and all of a sudden looks a lot better, which I feel bad about bringing that up because I'm about to completely destroy that argument with my next pick. But Jeremy Grant has had a really, really solid season, and I don't think he's fallen off anywhere near enough for me to knock him out of the two spot on my most improved list. Yeah, um, I didn't have him just because, like, you know, you touched on it a little bit of the guys who are getting more minutes or something like that. And obviously he's in a different role um, and a much bigger role. And so I like the idea of him being in the top three here. I did not have him um, strongly considered him, but. Yeah, he did fall off, and maybe there's some health issues. I know he's been out for, like, 
two weeks and it's the end of the season for a bad team. So I don't think there's any real injury. Um, but I he has Al Horford's disease. Oh man. Thoughts and prayers. Um, (laughs) so, but like he missed, you know, he missed a few games like early April and then he played one and then would sit one and play one and sit one and play one and sit one and then sit four and then play one and then sit three. Like, I don't know. But when he was playing over like the more recent games, you know, it's tough when he he had back-to-back games. I'm looking at his game log, uh, back-to-back games in March with a day in between um, where he had nine points, three rebounds, three assists against the Wizards, um, seven points, four rebounds, one assist against the Raptors. Um, Like, I know you can't judge someone on their best day or their worst day, but like he just had enough stinkers that I was like, you know, I think some of it is just like how, how much better, how much different is his leap than, you know, random player X who gets given primary ball handling duties and they say, go knock yourself out. Like he's definitely been more productive, obviously, and he's, scoring a lot more he's carrying a much heavier burden um he's shooting considerably worse than he was in denver and obviously that's because he's got to create his own shot more um but i don't know i i think he's i think he's improved i would put him you know fourth or fifth but i just um i had a couple other guys that i wanted to get in there incidentally there's an awful lot of denver connections here because we both uh had well, I'll spoil my number, your number three, by saying my number two is Michael Porter Jr., who basically took over for Jeremy Grant. And Porter is just, like, so much better already than I think anyone really thought he would be. Um, he's crazy. He's shooting 44.5% from three. He's averaging 19 and 7.5, and which is very good. And, yes, he has doubled his minutes, and that's a huge thing but he has gotten a much more important role because of that departure of Jeremy Grant. And then you throw in, you know, I guess it's been maybe a month since Jamal Murray got injured. Um, I think that's about right. And Porter has been excellent over the last month. Uh, If you go back to, let's see, uh, we can cherry pick when we want to start it for good stats on his game log uh, because we're adults here. But if we go back to April 23rd, so uh, 11 games coming into this week, uh, he was averaging 27 and six, shooting 50% from three over that stretch. Like, come on. And, you know, your superstar teammate goes down and you're like, okay, I got this. You know, he had games where back to back games were at seven for 14 from three and eight for 12 from three. Like, what? How? <laughs> And he really, you know, he went from being, I would say, fifth option last year, maybe sixth. He was mostly a bench player to like third and then second this year. Uh, so like huge change in responsibility. And he's doing it, man. He is really, really doing it. So, yes, you mentioned that I had him third. And I <laughs> said before that that I felt bad about it because I really don't like picking second year players who uh-huh. just doubled their minutes for this award Mm -hmm. but the reason that i ended up going with him third here is actually not because of his offense i mean he's looked exceptional on the offensive end this year don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong but he was doing similar stuff last season on offense just you know again in half the minutes played i mean Last year, he shot 42% from deep and 51% from the floor. And this year, 44% from deep and 54% for the floor. The reason Mm -hmm. why I have him third on my list is because of his defensive improvement. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who, even for a rookie, and the standards for rookies on defense are very, very low. Even for a rookie, he looked like an absolutely irredeemable tire fire on the defensive end. (laughs) I didn't cover the Denver Nuggets for the power rankings this year, but I did cover them last season. And my God, if you told me that he was the worst defensive player in the NBA last year, I would have believed you. Not like I wouldn't have even thought about it. I would have said, are you sure? Maybe Trey Young. But yeah, that's probably right. And this year he's gone from that god awful to semi-competent. 
And yeah. that jump on the defensive end, he made that faster than almost anyone I can remember. I mean, yeah. for go from that bad to being decent. And like, yeah, you know, he's six ten. Serviceable, yeah. Yeah, and like he's six ten and athletic. You know, he had the mm-hmm. physical tools, but mentally it just looked like he both didn't care and didn't know where he was supposed to be, like pretty much every play. And yeah. this year he's putting in a lot more effort and more to the point, he has a much better idea of where he's actually supposed to be on the defensive yes. end. So Definitely. yes, you know, it was like a doubling in minutes from a second year guy, which is not the kind of player that I like to vote for, for this award, but right. his jump on the defensive end was enough for me to be like, you know what? I think I'm going to put him at third. Yeah. He's just a different player than this season than he was last season. Um, and I know you mentioned like the offensive numbers are like marginally better, he is fourth in the NBA in effective field goal percentage, and he's seventh in true shooting. Like, he is phenomenal offensively in addition to the vastly improved defense. And just to to round it out, I will uh, tell you my third-place guy. Uh, I went Nikola Jokic because they say the leap from, you know, like, great to all-time is maybe the hardest leap to make and he's doing it, man. Like we talked about it obviously a lot uh, with his MVP case. Um, and he's just, he's so, so good. And like, he was very good last year and he is better this year. And I know that's a simple way to say it, but like, if you want to look at advanced stats, if you want to look at um, the like raw stats, like he's better across the board everywhere. I mean, he's shooting 39% from three or 40% from three. He's he's the point guard. Um, he gets steals. Like, Sneaky gets steals. Is 1.3 a game. That's enough to, to make some changes here and there. And, like, if he's getting a steal, he's going to find the guy running, and it's an automatic two points. Um, and just the the ability to go from being crazy good to being – the runaway MVP is, and he's, you know, he's 25. So like, he's right there at when, you know, like the early, early stage of his prime, I guess. Um, And so like, yeah, guys are supposed to be getting better at that point of their careers. But when you saw him play last year, like, okay, how much better can this guy get? And he's like a lot better. (laughs) So I don't know. He, he got my third spot because, um, it's just so hard to have teams like decide that you are the entire game plan and you still improve. And that's exactly what he's done. I am so glad that you made this argument because I think it's an excellent argument and one that people should be making more often. I mean, I think that both Jokic and Embiid should have deserved consideration for most improved this year. I mean, Embiid, it's almost entirely due to his jump shot going from below average to among the best mid-range jump shooters in the league. Uh And, you know, Jokic's improvement from three-point range is almost on the same level. He shot 31.4% from deep last year, and he's going to finish just below 40% this year unless he goes ridiculously crazy in their game tonight, which is which is possible because he's Nikola Jokic. It is possible. And yeah. I think I think honestly the only reason that I didn't end up putting Jokic on my ballot for this mm-hmm. is, you know, because I've been covering the Denver Nuggets before this season for the power rankings for hashtagbasketball.com, what I've observed a lot is that the last few years, Jokic was really bad in October and November, and I don't want to say he was playing his way into shape, but he was probably playing his way into shape given (laughs) the difference in his October slash November numbers and his December onwards numbers. Mm -hmm. This year, that didn't happen. He showed up, you know, it's the oldest cliche in the book, but he showed up in the best shape of his life, and Mm. he's just been absolutely wrecking everybody from day one. And, you know, the reason that he didn't, rank higher in most MVP ballots the last two seasons is because he was really bad the first couple months of the year. And this year he cut that out of his game and all of a sudden he's the runaway MVP. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's just been wild. I'm so excited to see him in the playoffs too. Oh yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun time. It so really is. let's wrap up here with our final award, the coach of the year ballot. So We have pretty similar guys on our ballots, just in slightly different orders. And Mm -hmm. then we have 
different guys at number five on the ballot. So sort of similar to MVP, but unlike with MVP, we disagree at the top. And actually the guy that I had at number one is your number four. I had Monty Williams as the coach of the year. And yes, Chris Paul has played a huge factor in this. And yes, the Suns showed that they could be a lot better of a team this year after their run in the bubble. But This was a team that did not make the playoffs last year and won 50 games this year in a 72-game season. And yes, a lot of the credit for that should go to Chris Paul, but a huge share of the credit for that should go to Monty Williams. I mean, this team as a whole, you know, all of their rotations make sense. You know, they're getting quality play out of pretty much everybody on the roster. Their defense has been a lot better than it certainly seemed like it was going to be, and certainly better than it's been in a very, very long time. This wasn't just Chris Paul driving the Suns to this point, and that's why I have Monty Williams at number one. Yeah, um, it's a strong case. Uh, I had him at number four. I think the reason for me, it's I do I do give a lot of credit to Chris Paul as like the best floor raiser in the NBA, but there's I think we've had this issue with a, a couple of awards that I think there are four guys who are like right there and it's we have the same top four like you said in slightly different order um and i just think like those any of those four guys are totally deserving it's just kind of like well you know i prefer this one you prefer that one and the thing for monty williams um i think for me is that phoenix has been like it's been kind of inexplicable why phoenix was so bad last year before the bubble um and you know you look at them and like there's been jokes going around you know the bright future suns for a couple of years like you know the suns are going to be good the suns are going to be good and they're finally good but like it's taken a while to get here um and so i think that's part of why i put him a little bit lower is like a little bit of what took you so long and <laughs> a little bit of like chris paul but again, Monty Williams is, is very good. And if he won it, I would not bat an eye at that. Um, like you said, they vastly overachieved. Um, like they have an identity. They are just a really solid team. Um, so I, I have no issues with him at your number one. I had Quinn Snyder. I know it's maybe a cop-out to do like, ah, you just give it to the coach of the best team. But the things that they've done this season with, I mean, now at this point, as season's end, you know, Donovan Mitchell has missed quite a bit of time. um, And they're still best record in the league. And they're just like so much better than, than anyone else had been so far. You know, their net rating, again, Mitchell has missed, I want to say maybe 15 games now, 19 games. Um, Mike Conley has missed 20 plus games. So like their starting backcourt is not really been there and they have a plus nine net rating. Like, how do you do that? Like the guys who bring up the ball aren't there and you still are just wrecking teams throughout the season. Um, their expected win loss is even better than their actual win loss. Cause they're just, they're just torching teams. Um, and you know, it's the way that they've really like figured out, okay, we are going to launch threes. We're going to take a lot and we're going to make a lot. Um, and we're going to like completely commit to that. All the stuff we talked about with defensive player of the year with Rudy, where it's like, Hey, we can have guys who are aggressive wing defenders because we've got the best interior defender in the league. Um, and that's going to just like be our entire philosophy. And it has absolutely worked you know a lot of teams have a philosophy and then it doesn't necessarily work um it's working and it's been really cool to see and i just really really hope mitchell has been resting to make sure he's 100 percent healthy for the playoffs because i really want to see utah do well in the playoffs this year um but i don't know i i think maybe the the thing that i think maybe makes Quinn Snyder so deserving is like these other, the other guys we have in consideration here, um, 
you know, I, I think to have the best team in the league and to say, I don't necessarily think Donovan Mitchell is better than either Chris Paul or Devin Booker. I think he's right there with Devin Booker, but like the fact that they don't have like a, you know, a second team, third team, all NBA and Donovan Mitchell might sniff the third team or he might've, if he wasn't injured um, and to still be the best team in the league and have the third ranked offense in the league. Like that for me uh, just shows like Quinn Snyder has figured out this team and they are clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, that nine net rating, I think, does a better job of showing how much better they were than the rest of the league, than the fact that their record is going to be either tied with Phoenix or one game ahead of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. There was a bigger gap between those two teams this season, and I had Quinn Snyder at number two, so it's not like I disagree with any of your arguments. I just had Monty a tick ahead, but the guy that you had at number two is the guy that I had at number three, and speaking of figuring his team out, how has Tom Thibodeau made the Knicks, the New York Knicks, with Julius Randle as their star player, not anyone's definition of a defensive stalwart in his career up until this point, he has the Knicks as one of the best defenses in the league. He has them as the fourth seed in the East. This is a team that was a clear lottery choice before this season. If not for the Suns, I think the Knicks would be the clear choice for most ridiculously unexpected season of any NBA team. And the fact that so much of that has come on the defensive end, basically being elite on the defensive end and good enough on the offensive end, that's been Tom Thibodeau's calling card for many, many decades now. And he's pulled it out once again to get this Knicks team to the fourth seed after the miracle Timberwolves playoff run. It's remarkable how he manages to get such a level of buy-in from his players that just so dramatically eclipses pretty much every other coach's. And the fact that he's getting that kind of defensive buy-in in this season of all seasons is, it's incredible to me. But I still had him at third behind those other two guys. I don't think that's a knock on him at all. I mean, Mm -hmm. this has been a really solid, honestly, group of coaches at the top this year. Yeah. We're not going all the way down to Luke Walton at 30 on this ballot, but, you know, the top five here is pretty crowded. (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, You know, my thing uh, about Thibodeau is that I, if I was a betting man, I would put it on Thibodeau to win it. And the reason is because... New York media. I was born and raised in New York City. I know how this works. (laughs) It's going to be the New York media. Well, I was actually going to say... Uh, although that's a strong argument, I was going to say the biggest reason is Vegas over-unders. Mm, so, that too. you know, Utah was 41 and a half and they're going to win 52 games. That's pretty darn good. Phoenix was 38 and a half. They're going to win 51, I believe. New York was 21 and a half. <laughs> And, and the sad part is that 20. because of how the Knicks betting market works, that's like a that's higher inflated. one. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. Vegas being like, oh, we can get a few wins here because the Knicks are probably only going to win like 18. Yes, absolutely. So the fact that they outperformed by 20 wins is it's just absolutely ludicrous. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Thibodeau will win. Um, so, yeah, so there's our there's three of our four. Um for me, number three was Eric Spolstra um, because I just think he is probably just like outright the best coach in the NBA. Yeah, um, I had him fourth, but I agree with that sentiment. Yeah, so like I think he's the best coach in the NBA. I don't necessarily think he's the coach of the year. Um, and it's sort of like the LeBron making third team all NBA thing where it's like this is he's too good to not be mentioned here and you know we touched on how crazy things had been in Miami with um you know COVID absences and injury and just like sluggish starts and probably a bubble hangover from being there forever and you know losing the finals but like they're good man and they are heating up when it matters so they were they were 28 and 28 uh, a month ago and they should be finishing uh 40 and 32 so what's that 12 and 4 down the stretch like man i wouldn't want to face the heat i would be terrified to face them right now (laughs) like they're rounding into shape i don't know 
Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing is if the seven and 14 start, if they'd gone 10 and 11 instead, right. they'd be the clear four seed. Right. And we yes. wouldn't be having this Knicks are a home court advantage argument for Tom Thibodeau because it would just be the, yeah, end. yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. So all of those reasons, I just kind of can't put Eric Spolstra lower than, well, I, he's third on mine, but fourth on yours. Like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't in good conscience get him any lower than either of those. Yeah, leaving him out of the top five was I couldn't I couldn't do that. It doesn't seem right. Yeah. Even four feels a bit low, but you know, the three guys I had ahead of him have had spectacular seasons as coaches. Yeah. I have a massive wild card as my fifth pick, and I'm sure a lot of people will object to it. So why don't you give your fifth pick first and someone who I think has also had a very good season coaching wise, but is certainly going to be less of a controversial pick than the guy that I have at fifth. I will say I considered your guy for fifth. Um, I didn't put him there, but uh, we'll get to him in a minute. I have Doc Rivers fifth. It's kind of a cop-out answer, I think. He's quite regularly been a good coach. Um, He's a pretty good coach again this year. Um, But, you know, Philly is number one in the East. They have seen this like unlocking of, uh, of Joel Embiid. The Ben Simmons thing is Ben Simmons is at a weird season, and I don't know if that's necessarily got much to do with Doc Rivers. Um, I think he's pulling a lot of strings and seeing what happens, um, and trying out different things so that they'll have some some things to work with in the playoffs. But basically, the idea here is just like they're the best team in the East. First year with him. They seem to just like, they look better. I know that's like an amorphous thing to say, but they just look like they're a better and more like cohesive team than they've been in the past. You know, it's always been a little disjointed, Ben and Embiid, you know, like what's going on there, blah, blah, blah. And they just seem to be, they seem to like each other more and they seem to be working together better. And Tobias Harris has fallen off a little bit lately, but he was having a huge season for a while there. Um, and, you know, some of it is probably that they added Seth Curry and have like uh, Danny Green too. So like the the shooting has really opened up a little bit. And I think he's just, um, he's just doing a really nice job with a good team and trying to, you know, make that leap from from good to great or from great to title contender and so far it seems like it's working all right so the guy that i have at number five i put steve nash at fifth overall and at the start of the season he certainly struggled with clock management and his rotations were interesting to start the year but you know (laughs) this is literally his first time being an nba head coach and since the NBA, first anything coach, right? Like he was vaguely involved with the Lakers or something, but it didn't seem like he had any real game coaching, right? He was like a developmental assistant yeah. for the Warriors, but I think he was like a contractor, not like an actual full-time assistant coach. Oh, it was the Warriors. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was something really bizarre like that. Like it sounded to me like, oh, I'm going to spend a couple hours here and there putting guys through dribbling drills. Yeah, and he basically went from that to being a head coach. So, yeah, in you know, like the biggest market for the highest profile team of the year. And, you know, you mentioned the highest profile team of the year. I don't think people are really giving enough credit to just how ridiculously chaotic this Nets season has been. Yeah. I mean, they've played 27 players this year, which as of <laughs> two years ago— would have been one behind the NBA record. I think Houston ended up breaking the old Grizzlies record, but that Grizzlies team had like six available players in the last 10 games due to injury. And I remember that well as a Kings fan because it was Dave Yeager's last season in Memphis. It was like, basically they got to 28 players having played, but like 10 of them played only in the last like five games. The Nets have been mixing and matching guys all season long. And, you know, they found a lot of really interesting looks that I think a lot of other coaches in the league would have been afraid to try. And Mm -hmm. Steve Nash can basically walk into the locker room and say, look, I know this might seem weird to you, but I'm a Hall of Fame point guard and a two-time MVP and one of the best players of all time. And I'm going to get the respect in the locker room of, you know, hey, why don't we at least try this? And 
Yeah. Bruce Brown played basically center on offense for a lot of the year for yeah. Brooklyn, and it worked and he was spectacularly well. <laughs> he was really good at it. I mean, he's in the 90th percentile as a role man in the pick and roll. And, you know, these are the kind of looks that a lot of coaches just wouldn't try that made this team so much better. And that gives me a lot of confidence, too, for the kinds of rotations that Nash is going to throw out in the playoffs. I mean, yeah. DeAndre Jordan went from such a locked-in starter that the Nets traded their best center in Jared Allen in the James Harden trade. He went from that to not playing for a few games to back to starting after the surprise LaMarcus Aldridge retirement, which, by the way, is like 20th on the list of chaotic things that have happened to the Nets this season. And yet they end the year right behind the Sixers as the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't even think we really touched on well, I came up earlier, but like you figure Steve Nash is walking into this thing where it's like, okay, well, he's going to have the three Lamborghinis and he's just got to choose which one to drive on a day-to-day basis. But like 72 game season and combined Harden and Durant didn't play 72 games. Yeah. So like just that is, is pretty incredible. You know, it would be a really fun thing someday, like maybe three years from now to play a little trivia game of like, did this person play for the the Brooklyn Nets in the 2021 season Uh, and just throw out names and be like, oh man, there's no way. But then you'd get to Noah Vonley and he played four games for the Nets this season. Oh yeah. Uh, There there are some fun names on this list. Andre Roberson, Iman Shumpert, Norvell Pell. (laughs) Wild. I I don't remember Andre Roberson ending up there, but sure enough. He had uh, a couple 10-day contracts, and then they didn't re-sign him. And they wow. went with Mike James instead, which has been a lot better for the most Surprisingly part. Surprisingly effective, yeah. Yeah, well, except for the fact that he's shooting 37% from the floor, but, you know. Well, you know, it's more effective than than uh, Andre Roberson was, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean— It looks like was shooting 14% from the floor, so, yeah. Not great. But, not I mean, great. if a team plays 27 players in a season, you expect them to be— Expect in them the to be bottom the half, City Thunder. yeah, the OKC Thunder or the Houston Rockets, and the only reason that the Grizzlies held that record at one point as the seventh seed is they were not that seventh seed team down the stretch of the season, which is when a lot of yeah. those guys got playing time. I mean, you expect bottom feeders to be the kinds of teams that have twenty five plus players playing on the roster, and that's still pretty close to the all time record. And yeah. for that to happen to this Nets team and for them to be the second seed with all the games missed by the top guys, it's it's absurd. And I think Steve it Nash is. should get enough credit for that to be fifth on my ballot. Yeah. Uh I'm fine with it. Yeah, he's had to he's had to deal with some stuff. So um I won't fight you for it. Well, that's that's good. I don't want to have a fight right at the end of the podcast. That'd make things awkward. Same. Same. All right. Anything you want to plug here before we wrap things up? Oh, man. Um, I mean, sure. I mean, aside from hashtag basketball itself, um, I I know Nick will generally say this, but I'm on Twitter at Kevin P. Nye. N-Y-E is my last name. Um, I lost touch with the Dion rankings this year because I uh, have been traveling a bit lately. So uh, normally that is the place for your – it's your one-stop shop for all things – uh involving the ranking of the nba's four active players named deandre which is every bit as ridiculous as it sounds um we just but, mentioned uh, one of them we did we did not mention uh bembry or ayton or hunter hunter missed most of the season which was a bummer because he was really looking good early in the season we probably um, should have mentioned deandre ayton at some point in one of the sun sections yeah he's been better like he's his statistics don't look particularly good but i think he's making much better decisions um which probably comes with chris paul uh yeah that helps just stabbing him when he doesn't do things and chris paul (laughs) is is like so good at you know rewarding a guy for a good effort play um and you know like making sure ayton's gonna get the ball on the block if he you know fought through a pick on the other end and contested a shot and you know, forced a miss. Like Chris Paul is going to give him the ball on the other end to say thank you, and like that's a a really useful thing. Um, but yeah, Aiton's been Aiton's been solid. Um, but uh, but yeah, so there you go. We mentioned all four. 
Um, but that's 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 pretty much it. I don't have too much going on right this minute. All right. Well, as he mentioned, he is Kevin Nye. You can find him on Twitter again, as he mentioned, Kevin P Nye. And of course, hopefully, we will get a revival of the Beyond Drinkings next season. But if we don't, you will certainly still be seeing his work at hashtag basketball. And you can also still see my work at hashtag basketball. We are done with the power rankings for the season. But again, Tyler and I will be continuing with the draft deep dives right up until and after the draft. So that will actually be the episode that you hear right after this one is our draft deep dives episode for the week. But you can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. It's much appreciated. And if you have any feedback of any kind, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or via email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.